Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to the program. This is Dr. Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. Wow, what a weekend. Yes, it was President's Day weekend. A lot of folks had yesterday off. I was away with my family from Friday evening through Monday evening at a at a volleyball tournament down in Salem, Oregon. And there are so many stories to tell that are going to connect to your life of faith. I'm going to talk about guardian angels. I'm going to talk about the journey that we have through life. Talk about three houses of worship that I encountered over the weekend. That and a lot more. Back in a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, I love you and I thank you for being a good father to us. And the Father, it has pleased you to give us the kingdom and that we must not live in fear for we are your little flock. Lord, may that word of God be for us a word of life today. I pray today, Lord, for a deeper understanding of the ministry of our guardian angels. I pray for deeper insight into the meaning of a place of worship a place of giving oneself over. And Lord, I pray as well that you give us the grace to understand how to enter into Lent well. I thank you, Lord, for the ministry of angels, of guardian angels. And I thank you, Lord, for the gift of this Lenten season. And I pray that each of us, Lord, would uh, experience, uh, encounter, encounter you today and that it would lead us to worship you more fully in spirit and truth. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of our Catholic faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, lots happened this weekend. Taking the journey from Spokane to Salem, Oregon, along with my wife, Carrie, uh, and the three daughters at home, Annalise, Luciana, Liliana. Uh, we were there for Luciana's volleyball tournament. We swore we would never do this again. And okay, so it's this is this is the one driving like a distance tournament that we're gonna do, and there's one flying tournament. That's all we agreed to do for this club that Luciana is on. And so this was the driving tournament. We agreed to this driving one because it was close to uh, where our daughter Mary Grace is finishing up her final semester at George Fox University. And she really wanted us to be able to come and be with her over the weekend. And, um, and and be with her as she uh, ministers in song. So I, I've got so much to talk about. I'm going to talk about guardian angels on the journey of life. And I know, well, I'm guessing you've had 
a sense of guardian angels being there to rescue you from near misses. I call them near misses. But there's there are other ways that the, your guardian angel can be part of your life. I'm going to talk a little bit about that today because the Lord brought that right back onto the front of my plate this Lent on Sunday. I'm going to talk about three houses of worship that I visited on Sunday. Three houses of worship. Yes, that's right. And I went to Mass, and it was a actually a traditional Latin Mass uh, down in Salem, Oregon, at St. Joseph Catholic Church. And I, I then I went to a uh, a church service where they have some like vibrant praise and worship. Uh, so my daughter Mary Grace uh, both goes to Mass on Sunday and then also participates in helping lead praise and worship. And uh, and then there was a third house of worship that I'll tell you about where I spent actually more of my time this weekend than in either uh, and then in any church. So you probably know what I'm going to be referring to there. <laughs> I also had an amazing conversation with an evangelical pastor about the Catholic faith. And I got to tell you, when you hear this, you're going to come to a new appreciation. Hopefully, I did. I can, and I'm going to share it with you, and maybe you'll be blessed by it as well. Just a, a deepened or a refreshed appreciation for growing up in a Catholic home, growing up in a Catholic environment, and having that foster a Catholic mindset. So that is what I'm going to talk about today. I don't know how I'm going to get through all of this. Some really neat stories. I'm excited to dive in with you. This is also a day where I am focused a bit on the concept of Catholic traditions and focusing on Catholic traditions in your home to foster a Catholic atmosphere in your life and, and in the world around you. Okay. So that's a, that's an overarching theme. So I, uh, we had a six and a half, about a six and a half, seven hour drive from Spokane, which means children of the sun, to Salem, Oregon. Salem means what's peaceful, safe, complete, and perfect. I just thought, oh, that's kind of cute. Cutesy, maybe, to say that we are children of the sun on a journey to a place of perfection, completion, a place of safety and peace to Salem. <laughs> But it, that, isn't that life? Isn't that the journey that we're making through our, our life here on earth? We're children of the Son of God and, and we're children of the Father, sharing in the, the very divinity of the Son as Catholic Christians. And we're on a journey. And on that journey, boy, sometimes it becomes apparent that we need guardian angels and we should call upon the blessing and protection of guardian angels. Do you do that when you, when you get in the car? If you're going to make a long trip, do you begin with a prayer? asking for the Lord's gracious protection over your trip. What's kind of funny, and I'm just realizing it now, that's kind of odd. It is a custom. It is a standard practice in the current home when we take a long trip that we use the first portion of it to pray a rosary. And I don't think we did that. How odd is that? It was a, we were a little bit thrown off. It was the end of the day, end of the week, a long weekend, had a long, but those are all just excuses. Somehow, somehow we got crowded out. The, the praying of the rosary as a family got crowded out out of the start of our, um, the start of our weekend. 
Okay, enough with the idea of that there are always going to be excuses why. Like we just came from a basketball game and we were talking all about the game and excited for that and about the weekend and all this stuff. Those are just excuses. There's nothing that as soon as we were able to settle on a seven-hour ride to be able to say, guys, let's remember on this journey, when we make journeys like this, it's important to bring the Lord front and center and ask for his blessings and to call upon the saints and angels for their blessings of protection and uh, the, the, the traveling mercies of the mantle of our mother, Mary. I always ask for that. Come to think of it. I think I did pray a, a short prayer. I didn't, but, but I don't know why I wouldn't have, I mean, this is bothering me just sitting here thinking about this anyways, along the way. So we're driving, right? So we drive down through, weave our way from Spokane down to tri cities. And, uh, we cross the border into Oregon. And as we start making our way uh, into Oregon and, and start making our way towards uh, towards Portland and then towards Salem, there's this section of the highway that sort of snakes along near the river. Now, when I say snakes along, it's, it's not just straight. It sort of undulates around a bit. It kind of goes up and around and down. But it isn't. It's like a very gentle kind of curves such that they don't change the speed limit. So the speed limit in this, in an, uh, almost the entire highway is about is 70 miles an hour. And so here I am on this really pretty much mostly empty highway at 1030 at night, you know, kind of taking our way slowly through and I'm going 75, right? So I'm going a bit above the speed limit uh, where you taught, you could go seven miles an hour above the speed limit and still be considered in the speed limit, right? <laughs> so I was going 75. I had it on cruise control. And um, and as we're kind of undulating around a bit, I'm like, you know what? Let me move over from the outside lane to the inside lane. So I I, I do that. But I, oh, one little piece of context. So as we're driving along, I notice that uh, we're passing through this series of bridges. And so the highway is undulating around and and there are these exits like one after the other several exits in a row and there's a hop with a flashing light at the end of the off ramp and in the first uh, on this one exit and then I'm driving a further along a mile down the road ish and then all of a sudden I see another cop car comes zipping along with a again the lights flashing and they take up their position at the end of the off ramp and we drive around you know continue on for another mile and a half and Here's this third cop car zooming along, trying to get to, yes, indeed, the end of the off-ramp um, with their lights flashing. And I'm thinking, I bet there's somebody in town that they don't want to have get onto the highway. I was wrong. And I would find out that I was wrong about 30 seconds later. Because we're, again, we're moving, kind of going along through this. I noticed, I, I said it to Carrie. I said, Carrie, look at these, all these cop cars they have at the end of the highway and at the end of uh, the off-ramps. And I, I changed lanes. And five or seven seconds later, all of a sudden, zoom. Now, remember, did, did, now, when you think zoom, what are you thinking? Somebody sped past you pretty fast, right? And if you're standing still and you see zoom, someone's probably going, what, 45 or 50 miles an hour, right? To, to really say, wow, they are traveling fast. 
Well, how fast was I going? Yeah, I was going 75. And I, when I changed lanes, right, I, I have visibility to my rear view mirror uh, and in the center as well as on the side. And there was nothing in my rear view. Again, it was really a pretty empty highway. Well, I pull over one lane and all of a sudden, I'd make the sound one last time, zoom, this car went past me with its light headlights off. Its lights were not on. And, and I tell you, that car was going at least 50 miles an hour. Okay, 50 plus, how fast was 75? That's 125 miles an hour. This car was zipping along, right? And 10 seconds later, uh, you know, we see the, the flashing lights behind us. We pull over to the side and the cop car zips by us chasing after that car that is going crazy fast. So we get back on the highway and then sure enough, a minute later, another cop car goes zooming past and then another cop car goes zooming past. And it's like, wow, this is insane. Okay. A few miles down the road, the entire highway is blocked off and there are all these cop cars. And I don't know the mercy. I prayed. I just prayed for whoever was in that car that he doesn't kill himself or kill somebody else because guardian angels, guardian angels near miss this guy's going that fast. And I'm moving across the highway from one lane to the other. And this is an undulating kind of highway. How much control does that guy have over his car? And it wasn't like a, it wasn't a Porsche or a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or some car made to go really fast. It was just a typical car, right? Just a, a standard car, nothing special about this car, not souped up. So this guy was going crazy fast. And I'm thinking, five seconds earlier, if I'm actually moving, this guy very well could have come slamming into the back of my car going 50 miles an hour. That would not have been pretty. And so all I can say is, guardian angel, thank you. Thank you, God, for mercy. And thank you, God, that this guy... I don't know what happened if the car engine blew out or if he came to his senses, but he was just pulled off on the side of the highway. And, and when we got there, they were putting handcuffs on him and putting him into the car. And we have no idea what, what his story was, but thanks be to God, he didn't kill himself or other people um, by the way he was driving. But I just say, what a, that, that's, a, that's a, a powerful example of a near miss. And I, I, I don't think it was a near miss. Wow. God was busy about many things and, and had no sense about what was happening here. But no, in the mercy of God and through the graces that when you pray for protection, the Lord moves and on your behalf and very powerfully and wonderfully. Another example of guardian angels on the watch, uh, preserving my family. And, you know, I, I was really bothered by it. And, you know, I was like, we got to pray for this guy, pray for this whole situation, but pray a prayer of thanksgiving to God for the gift that he gave us in preserving us in, in that way. So guardian angels would, would end up playing a part later in my weekend, specifically beginning on Sunday morning. So I mentioned that in this program, I'm going to talk about three houses of worship that I attended this weekend. The first house of worship uh, is was 
St. Joseph Catholic Church in Salem, Oregon. Now, uh, we needed to find a mass that was going to correspond to my daughter's volleyball schedule. And lo and behold, 7.30 in the morning mass. Yes, this is going to work. And on top of that, it's mass. It's the traditional Latin mass. We're like, oh, this is awesome. And even better, it was half a mile from our, from the place we were staying. This is amazing. So that was the first house of worship. And there was something really actually interesting about this house of worship. I'll tell you about it in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Dr. Tom Karn. It's great to be with you today. Hey, by the way, I'll swing back to the guardian angel theme here because you want to be calling on your guardian angel. So, but the first house of worship mentioned three houses of worship. The first was St. Joseph Catholic church. Now we went to mass at seven 30, but we didn't go into the church because the church had experienced fire damage. So we were in the church. That wasn't even the church hall. It was like the basketball court inside the church school that they had set up chairs. And on the stage was where they had set up the altar for mass. So, we were in a gym, uh, in a gym with folding chairs, celebrating the traditional Latin Mass. House of Worship number one. House of Worship number two was I mentioned later in the day at ten o'clock that morning. We were going to go participate in a church service where my daughter Mary Grace is part of the worship team, and this morning she was going to be leading worship, and it was. For her, really meaningful that we were going to finally be there. She's only going to be at the school for another, well, another couple of months. And then she's graduating and she's going to leave Newburgh, where she had lived for several years after doing two years of missionary work with some of the ladies that she had met on missionary, uh, on these missions, and has lived an amazing life of discipleship there with these women of God and other men of God that have done these mission trips and they fellowship together. And so she lives with um, uh, two two of them right now. And uh, a lot of them worship at that church. So she goes to Catholic mass and they all know she's Catholic and she's had a wonderful influence on them considering the Catholic faith. Uh, but she goes and fellowships with them and, and uh, participates in their, uh, in their church service. Um, it's not a sacramental church, it's like a charismatic Pentecostal church. So um, anyways, so we were, so that was the second house of worship. The third house of worship was another gym. And, oh, and by the way, that one was in a, uh, in a community center. That second house of worship was a community center. <laughs> the third house of worship was this uh, very large open gym that had multiple spaces within it. Uh, multiple courts within it. And that was where the volleyball tournament was being held. Yeah. I'm calling that a house of worship. And, you know, I, I'm not speaking about it in the same way because there were no ritual sacrifices going on. However, there is a way in which what was happening in that space, what mimicked, it mimicked, it imitated a lot of what the people who are going to those other houses of worship were doing. And you've heard Carrie and me talk about uh, sports culture 
as a form of modern idolatry and the way that young people are being discipled into a sports culture where they are to give so much of their lives over to participate in a particular club, a team because of how special it is and how, you know, far they'll go in, you know, you, you've heard me talk all about that. So I'm going to talk about that as the third house of worship. Now, let's let's focus on these three houses of worship. And this is going to lead me into both the guardian angels and an incredible conversation that Lex, lets me, refreshed in me, the great gift of being Catholic. And I hope it does the same for you. So the first house of worship was one that you know, you, you'd say from a, a pure exterior, like, or the interior of the building standpoint, was not very impressive, right? It's a gym. Now, they had put up some posters of the Stations of the Cross, and they had set up an altar with candles uh, up on the stage, and they had put down um, some, you know, the, the folding chairs. Um, and, but it, it certainly lacked from a pure environmental architectural standpoint, a sense of being a sacred space, right? It was a temporary holding place because the church had experienced fire damage. And so that is what it is. However, when I looked around, what I got to experience was something that I've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, which is, the answer to the question, what fosters, what provokes deep faith in God? And the answer is a manifestation of, of the, the very divinity of God, the holiness of God, the, the reality of God himself becoming manifest. When God becomes manifest, the proper response to the manifestation of, of divinity is reverence. And when we have a ritual that fosters, promotes, and expresses reverence, it is incredibly powerful in the way that it will stir faith, provoke faith, invigorate faith, nurture faith, there was something that was very common about these three environments that I want to bring out right at the beginning. And again, it's an answer to the question, where are all the young adults? Where are all these Catholic young adults? You remember St. John Paul II started World Youth Day. And uh, Youth Day was for young adults 18 to 35. Right? So that was, the, that was the idea is that you could... Come all the way up until you're 35 so you could still fit in. We're going to include you in as a 35-year-old, as a young adult. <laughs> and he did so much to travel the world and to stir the faith of young adults. That's in the 80s and the 90s and into the early 2000s before he dies. And uh, it, it's continued on in its own way. But in the generation that we've had, and let's say these last 40 years, uh, we've seen a lost generation. Where are the young adults? Where are the 20 to 35-year-olds? Well, I saw tons of them in these three houses of worship. 
tons of them. In the Catholic world, where we are most likely to find just a stirring of the Catholic young adults, are in places that either imitate the house of worship that I was at at 7.30 in the morning, the traditional Latin mass. So I, I didn't say it has to be the Latin mass. I did say it has to be a mass that fosters, expresses, and nurtures reverence. When the ritual of the mass, the, the rite, R-I-T-E, of the mass is performed with a sense of sacredness, even if you're not in a sacred space, it's evocative. It evokes, it provokes reverence. It has that capacity. And looking around, there were so many young people, young adults, people that were choosing to be there. Not just drag-alongs with the family, but young adults choosing to be there. And if you if you find fervor in young adults, again, we'll say from your college years through the early 30s, you'll find that most fervent Catholics are going to have some powerful connection to the traditional Latin Mass or to a reverent, a Mass that fosters and promotes and and nurtures revering God. You're in a place where divinity is appearing, is coming out into the open, and we have to be different. And so that's one of the houses of worship that you'll see young adults. The other, and the other place where I'll see that in, in terms of the Catholic Church is where the third one was, the third house of worship, or that second house of worship that I mentioned, which was that other church that we went to was filled. It was 85% of the people that filled this community center that was turned into a churchy environment, similar chairs set up. And there was a, a central area at the, at the front. And this is where their music ministry was and where the preaching happened. So they didn't have an altar, but they did have a, um, you know, a, a place for preaching, uh, that was just set up, right? It, there's a lot of similarities here. <laughs> One of the other similarities was filled with young adults. And very, I mean, this church doesn't have a, a longstanding tradition. So no one, no one was there because they had to be there because their parents went there and their parents went there and their parents went there. Does not have that tradition. But what does it have? That's praise and worship. Praise and worship. God inhabits the praises of his people. When you have a music ministry that is leading worship and you have people of faith coming together and they are offering heartfelt, full praise of God with their entire being, praising and, and giving themselves over to the worship of God, God, God manifests himself. God inhabits the praises of his people. God inhabits the praise of his people. And, and so God shows up. And, and young adults, these young adults, they respond. And, and it's not only in an evangelical church. This church, is again, is more charismatic or Pentecostal. But uh, uh, you heard Father Lewis talk about the Sikh conference. Or if you've gone to 
Steubenville Northwest or Steubenville Con- Youth Conferences, right? Uh, what do you see? It's a combination of praise and worship, vigorous, boisterous praise and worship, and deep adoration, reverent, giving oneself over to God in reverence and adoration. Both of those are connected to this expression of reverence. God is not just in the world the way other things in the world. God is beyond the world as its creator and sustainer. God enters through the things he has created to encounter us. He has fully revealed himself in his son. He has established the church to continue the place of manifestation of Christ and of the communication of God's own life. Oh, I just said a whole lot there. I just said a whole lot there. And I'm going to talk about that gift of being Catholic. But before I do, I want to talk about the enemy of worship and the enemy of adoration. And it's found in that third house of worship. That third house of worship was, is the, uh, the gym where the volleyball tournament was. If I thought about the amount of commitment that was expressed by the families that showed up at that tournament, the level of commitment, it's stunning. Thinking for so many of the parents that were in that gym with their kids, they are giving themselves over to this act of hitting a ball over a net from Friday to travel to get there, Saturday, play all day, Sunday, play all day, Monday, play, and then travel home. Okay, so that's at least three and a half days, right? At least, at least minimum three full days, right? The, that was about it for us from Friday evening through Monday evening, three full days. And we, we were kind of, we, we got there at the last minute, left at the first minute. But it's three days, right? The money, the time, the attention, the focus, the sacrifice, the the organizing, the planning, the the what does it take to get you there? Where are you going to stay? You got to pay for the hotel. You got to pay for food. You got to the the travel, the the time you're sitting around. And why are they doing all of this stuff so they can watch their kid hit a ball over a net? Just like, are you kidding me? Like, what is wrong with us? What is wrong with us that we would, we are willing to invest so much, right? And, and for the, the teams here that are good, my daughter's on a good team, uh, that it's not just that tournament, but it's the, the days during the week where they're practicing and the other tournaments they're on, and and how they orient so much of their lives around getting ready for that tournament. That what is What does it mean to make something God? Right? We, it, what's an idol? An idol is a replacement for God. And, and it's essentially saying, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to give my life over for you. And there is... There's so much idolatry that happens in that gym. Now, let's say it out loud. It's not a guarantee that if, in fact, your uh, if your daughter's 
playing on a tournament team, but therefore you're caught up in idolatry. No, it's not one-to-one. But I can see how so many families have given themselves over to whatever they think their daughter is going to achieve by playing on that team and making so many sacrifices to be there to have their daughter hit a ball over a net. When I think about, wait a minute, what about character? What about kindness? What about sweetness? What about gentleness? What about purity? All these other beautiful, incredible qualities that we want for our kids. All right, I'm up against a break. Back in a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out. DrTomCurran.com, DrTomCurran.com. Welcome back to the program. It's great to be with you. So today I'm talking about three houses of worship, the traditional Latin mass. I'm talking about praise and worship at a evangelical Protestant church uh, or evangelical non-denominational church, I guess you'd call it. And it's... uh, and uh, and then the the gym where the volleyball tournament was happening this weekend. And the question becomes, where do we worship? Where do we give of ourselves? Where do we sacrifice our lives in order to pay the price for participating in the worship that is there? That, that that's language that you might think applies mostly to something like a volleyball tournament. Well, you got to pay to have your team participate, pay to get there, pay to stay, pay for food, pay to get in, all these other costs that are there. And all these sacrifices that you make so that your daughter can get better at hitting a ball over a net. And, and it's like, do we make those same kind of sacrifices at mass? And I want to say that one of the great gifts of the traditional Latin mass is that it's solemn. It's solemn. Solemnity. When something is solemn, that doesn't mean formal. When I say that something is, when you hear formal, formal might mean uh, like stiff or sterile. If it's overly, you know, formulaic, a formulaic, it 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 can be. It, it, it that's not what I mean. When I say solemn, it means that those who participate are fittingly. In a, in a suitable way. They're fittingly corresponding in their demeanor and how they carry themselves and the things that they say and do that are appropriate for the ritual and for what that ritual is uh, expressing. Because what we believe at Mass is that heaven breaks into earth, that Christ manifests himself in a variety of ways He's going to offer perfect praise and thanks to the Father. As the high priest, he draws us in to share in that as his body. And we, it costs us nothing less than everything to give of our lives over to the Lord so that we can praise and thank the Lord, our God and Father, the way that he deserves. And 
the miracle of miracles is a supernatural intervention of God that happens at every mass. And God himself becomes present as Christ, as Eucharist. Jesus Christ becomes present as Eucharist because of the ritual that he establishes. And he comes as Eucharist so that we who are members of his body through baptism, members of the church in communion with him and with each other, we could come forward and receive him and grow in that divine life. We grow in divinity. We grow in our participation in divine life through receiving his flesh and blood. For my flesh is real food and my blood is true drink. The gift of being Catholic, brothers and sisters, the gift of being Catholic. We have, it is so easy to take it for granted. And it just feels like to me that we're part of a generation, the last 40 years, that we have floated into taking for granted and have been have become so comfortably cultural in the practice of our faith, so ha have had fostered within us attempts to have the Mass become relevant and casual, that it's accessible. And in doing that, it has become emptied in large part of all that would foster the reverence of the, the solemn occasion that every Mass is. It doesn't require a cathedral. I was present at a solemn sacrifice of the most sacred liturgy, right? This sacrifice of the Mass in a gym with chairs in, an, in a structure, architecture, and environment that wasn't fitting but the solemnity of those who participated and the way that they entered into the ritual of the mass itself was very powerful. It was evocative. It was beautiful. No, it was glorious is what it is. Divine, divine, majestic beauty. And that evokes faith, brothers and sisters. If your family is struggling to believe Bring them to a place of reverence. Bring them to a place where the priest and the faithful have had fostered in themselves and are fostering in the wider community actions that express the solemnity of the moment, actions that express reverence. It's fitting. It's good that we're here. And so I... um. Uh, I uh, I want to talk about the, uh, I'm going to come back to the guardian angels in a minute. I had a chance to talk with a uh, an evangelical pastor about the Catholic faith. And it was so interesting. Uh, it was the pastor of the church where we went uh, at, uh, after the after the traditional Latin mass, we went up to, to be where my daughter was. And my daughter has been talking with him for years about her Catholic faith and he's fascinated by it. And, uh, and there's this whole movement. I don't know if you realize this, this whole movement in uh, evangelical circles to recover a greater sense of the real presence of the Eucharist. Uh, this is one of the great gifts of the internet is that you can't really hide your position any longer. 
right? It's no longer going to be enough to say, well, I can teach this from my pulpit and the people that are around me. Most, a very few of them are ever going to be able to go do research in books to be able to find out that our uh, tradition uh, as a as a denomination only goes back a couple hundred years. It doesn't really have that much warrant in history. Uh, and their attacks against the Catholic Church don't really carry that much weight when you look at it in the spread of history and, the, and you understand it from a Catholic viewpoint. Okay. So the internet changes all that. All of a sudden the internet opens everything up and now everybody has access to everything in terms of historical sources and explanations for things and testimonies about uh, the Catholic faith and, and the fathers of the church and their and their understandings of things. And so one of the powerful, uh, one of the powerful things that's happening in, in evangelical circles is this, hey, wait a minute, our approach to John chapter six might be just a little too slippery. When Jesus says, John 6, 50 and verse following, right? <laughs> my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. And unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. It's kind of difficult to read John six and just interpret it symbolically. He seems to say what he means and means what he says in that chapter, and it becomes increasingly difficult to find anybody in the first 14 centuries of the church, church's life, that interpreted it anything other than literally. And so when the Protestant revolution shows up, it seems to be a revolt against the true meaning of the sacrament of the uh, Holy Eucharist. And so what was fascinating was talking with his pastor was that he was talking like a Catholic. And so much of what he was saying, he was talking like a Catholic uh, in terms of, uh, yeah, God, God doesn't just communicate to us in spiritual ways in a way that disassociates himself from the world that he's created. No, God actually communicates graces to us through the world he has created. And I'm like, that's sacramental thinking, you know, <laughs> but here's the thing. He had not been formed in a Catholic mindset growing up. He had not been taught in a Catholic mindset, in a Catholic atmosphere, in his theological studies and in his upbringing. And as a result, he could not grasp. He, could, he didn't have the consciousness to appreciate this distinction between grace, actual grace, where God involves himself in our lives and gives us strength to do things that we couldn't do. He elevates our thinking and our living to be after the manner of Jesus Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit, right? So that that's actual grace, but that's different than sanctifying grace. Sanctifying grace is the interior transformation where we become new creations, whole new beings. We go from creature of God to child of God, crying out, Abba, Father. And when does that happen? That happens in baptism. Oh, wait a minute. That just doesn't happen when somebody says, I accept Jesus. No, God communicates the grace of transformation in baptism. And when Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, take this all of you to eat it, right? In, in the Gospels, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, right? It's does he mean what he says? And what was interesting was the way in which he and other other, there's this like movement of these evangelical Protestant pastors were saying, you know what, we better recover the, uh, the, the Last Supper and the celebration of the Last Supper 
into our worship services because he commands us to eat his, to do this in remembrance of him and to eat his body and drink his blood. And I'm like, well, do you eat his body and drink his blood during your service? And why? Well, I, I think we do. And I'm like, well, what <laughs> does, does anybody have the ability to do that? I said, what if they had beer and pizza? Does that work? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, when doesn't it work? And why does it work when, when they do it like this versus doing it like this? And all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow. And, and he said, well, I believe in this idea that God's going to work sacramentally in the world. I said, yeah, that's true. But he also has established, I said, the seven sacraments. And those are the places where divine life is communicated, right? Sanctifying grace is communicated. The very life of God. And that's a Catholic understanding, brothers and sisters. You see, we, we've been privileged, privileged to be brought up in the faith or to be in the faith that has this understanding that God creates us uh, and, and in creating us is intending us to find the fullness of our life with him in heaven, but has elevated, elevated that goal that he has for us by bringing his son among us and then saying, I'm going to elevate you into the status where you share in my divine life. You're called to be holy. You are called to be, be holy. And that is such a powerful, it, it's a, you might hear this and say, well, the, well, Tom, of course, I get that. I get that. You, you have to appreciate that a lot of non-Catholic Christians don't understand that. They, they, they put a, a collapsed understanding of justification and sanctification into their minds by how they've been taught. And so this idea of what's your call in life? Well, we know we're called to be saints. We're called to grow in that union with the holy God, whereby his holiness is manifest in our lives because we have become holy. We have become holy through baptism. We share in God's life. We share in God's life. And now we're called to radiate that into the world. So it's not only about receiving strength from God to think in a new way and act in a different way. No, it's you've become a new being. And because you are a new being, you're called to live in a new way in accord with that being. That's different. It might not sound different to you, but it's different. So I came away from the uh, conversation with this uh, pastor, uh, first of all, inspired because God is using this man to reach out to young adults. Again, so many young adults are just bleeding out of the church or, or just have left the church. And he has fostered in his, uh, in his body of believers a place where young adults can find a home. And I credit the guy because he stands up for the fullness of the, the church's teaching on marriage and on the beginning of life and preaches against abortion and against gay marriage and against transgender ideology out loud gives teachings on it. That's pretty cool. And he has a great expectation for the power of the Holy spirit to move in signs and wonders and deeds of power and has seen transformed lives. And it's like, you know what? St. John Paul II said it. He said it. He said, we must admit that at times we must admit brothers. He's talking to his brother bishops. We must admit that at times they are separated brothers, our, our Protestant 
non-Catholic Christian brothers and sisters, they have done more with less. They have done more with less. They have less, less of the means of sanctification. That's the sacraments, less of the, the truth that God has revealed in Christ. We have the fullness of truth and the fullness of the means of sanctification. That's what we've received. But are we living the fullness that God has given to us? That's the question. That's a pretty striking question. All right, I'm up against a break. Back in a minute with more of the program. Hey, welcome back to the program. All right, so I'm kind of running out of time here. I gotta tell you a story about guardian angels. Really cool. All right, so oh, so pray, pray for this man because he's wrestling with, uh, you know seeing God move in very powerful ways in, in his community, but also wrestling to say, how do I, how do I come to a mindset that is fully what God, what Christ intends for the church today? And so I, I'm just excited to see what God's going to do there. Um, okay. Let's come back around to guardian angels. So I started the program telling you the story about the guardian angel and like that, that drive down to Salem. Okay. So I'm at mass, traditional at mass on Sunday. And I'm praying, I'm saying, Lord, Lent, Lent, Lent. What do you what do you have for me? Because I had I was sick all last week. And it made it really hard for me to to be focused on Lord, what do you have for me? So Sunday morning, I was just really crying out to the Lord at Mass and just saying, Lord, what, what do you have for me at Lent? I don't want to settle for less. I want what you have for me. And 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 I, I felt this prompting that was then give your guardian angel permission to humble you once a day during Lent. And I'm like, no, that is not from God. <laughs> that is not from God. I've done that twice. I've done that twice in two different Lents. And man, it is so, hum, I would say humbling is hard. It's hard. And and I, I'm really quick to say, I love Lent because it's hard. You get to feel it, you know, that you're Catholic and all that. But it's it's a lot easier, I think, to say, well, I know my Lent. I know what's happening today. I'm going to do these three things and avoid these three things. These are the things that I'm doing for Lent. It's a lot harder to say, okay, guardian angel, bring it on. Whatever you're going to, however you're going to humble me today, go for it. But I felt that prompting. And I said, all right, I'm in. I'm in. Bring it on, guardian. And this was the prayer. Guardian angels aren't just for near misses, brothers and sisters. Guardian angels are these divine, divinely created uh, partners for your journey. You have a guardian angel, and that guardian angel was created for you. Do you get that? Do you get that? Do you get that? That's how special and important you are to God. Why do you leave your guardian angel on the sidelines? Let your guardian angel get involved. So I said, I said it with this intensity, this sincerity, with this sense of all in, right? This all in commitment. Guardian angel, please, please exercise the fullness of the mission and ministry that God has assigned to you in my regard. Lead, provide, and protect me. And in this land, I give you permission to humble me once a day so that I will I will come into all that God has for me in this land. Okay. So after that, we... Drop off Luciana at the tournament, head up to Mary Grace's uh, uh, church service. And while we're there, uh, I'm in the back row um, with uh, Carrie and my girls. And at one point, 
during their praise and worship time, they say, we have the sense that the Lord wants to minister to those who are have worry, those that are, it was kind of a word they discerned, those who are anxious and worried, and the Lord wants to set you free. So if that's you, please raise your hand where you are. And if you raise your hand where you are, the people that are around you, there'll be some people who will come and lay their hands on you. And if you're not like, close enough to like lay hands on them, you can just kind of extend your hand towards them. And so I was just praying and saying, oh, this is so beautiful, ministering to God's people right there, right there, live in the moment. <laughs> so what happens is uh, th- there was like a woman two rows in front of me. So I just kind of extended my hand up to like, like uh, you know, include my prayer towards them. And all of a sudden I felt this hand on my shoulder and this person starts praying for me. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. I think this woman behind me, I was in the back row. So it was someone that was like in the back there. Someone saw me put my hand up. I was putting my hand up to, to say a prayer for someone. And the person behind me took it as I'm in need of prayer. And so I should, I'm asking for prayer. And so she has her hand on me. She starts praying for me and she's praying this beautiful prayer, release this brother in the Lord of mine from worry and all this. And I just start laughing. Now, I, I have to keep my mouth shut. So when you laugh and you have to keep it in, what happens? You start kind of moving your shoulders up and down as if you're crying, but you're laughing. And so I do that. And she starts praying harder. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But as this happened, all of a sudden it came to me. Oh, this is the my guardian angel is humbling me. By having this woman pray over me. She has her hand on my shoulder. I'm like, oh, wow. Here I was. I was so afraid that the Lord was going to make me feel ashamed and embarrassed and humiliated. And that's how I was going to be humbled every day. And instead, what does the Lord do? The Lord humbles me uh, or my guardian angel humbles me through having me be misunderstood and then be ministered to. So the first humbling involved me getting the grace of being prayed with. I just thought that was so beautiful. Okay, next day. Next day, Sunday, no, Monday. It was Monday. And so Monday at the tournament, my girl said, hey, dad, see that girl on that team? She wears a scapular. And she um, she was at this like uh, athletic camp we were at. And I'm like, oh, that is so cool. And I said, that means they're Catholic. And then they're from Post Falls. I'm like, oh, great. So I I go around and I find the guy, I find the dad, and I go up to him and I say, he had a scapular on. I said, hey, you know, Post Falls, Catholic. Yes, yes, yes. And I said, uh, he said, yeah, I said, my daughter plays on this team. He said, yeah, I know. I saw you guys at mass this morning. I said, you guys were at the traditional Latin mass? He said, yeah. Yeah, we had to miss our first game, but we made it here uh, after that. And I was so humbled. Why? We left after communion to make it in time for the game. He stayed. That was humbling. God bless your day.